0: all with even less restraint than usual. Join us once more on 60 Saws That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. Welcome back to another episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and joining me, as always, is the Ringers J. Kyle. Man, what's going on, man? How are you doing today?
1: Doing fantastic, Kevin. I'm uh, ready ready to go, ready to talk about some shooting form, ready to talk about all things draft. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent today, man. I'm
0: excited. Driving into the office after we do our recording here on Wednesday, May 24th. Going to record Beyond the Arc. Uh, with Logan Murdoch having him on, so looking forward to that. And, I mean, it's the conference finals and soon to be the NBA finals. We got one team in, one team up, three to one. But, yes, today we're going to be talking about the NBA draft. And I want to start off, Kyle, with the Thompson twins, so p- particularly R.S.R. Thompson. He's, he's the guy who a lot of people have ranked below Amen Thompson, his twin brother. We talked about it multiple times over the course of the season. Amen, more of the the 99th percentile athlete, explosive. He's been more of the playmaking presence, the lead ball handler in their time playing together and really just their time growing up together at six, seven, 200 pounds. His brother, Asar Thompson, has been more of the off ball guy. However, in my next update in the Ringers 2023 NBA Draft Guide, I'm going to shift Asar Thompson one spot up and Amen Thompson. One spot down, putting Oscar Thompson ahead of Amen Thompson, and the reason for that, Kyle, is because he proved over this past year his jumper is ahead of Amen's, and we know how important jump shot skill is in the NBA. We see guys in the playoffs, you know, they, if they can't, if they aren't a threat to shoot, they don't get respected. It's important. It's an important skill, and also the feedback that I've received from some people that Amen and Osar at this point Osar's shot through workouts has continued to enhance and someone from overtime sent me a couple twitter links to his new mechanics they continued to evolve and look you know smoother and smoother granted it's open gym workouts it's one on ones Osar's jumper continually looks smoother and smoother as the offseason progresses progress, progresses since the end of the OTE season what do you think, Kyle, about, you know, the development of Arsar Thompson? Uh, have you seen significant progress with him as well? And uh, what do you think about me moving him one spot ahead of his brother, Amen?
1: Uh I mean, I don't I don't think, I think a lot of people agree with you. And I think throughout the year, I think when we first started talking about the Thompson Twins, I said I had Arsar sort of like in that 10 to 12 kind of spot, like like I thought he'd be sort of late-ish lottery. Um I don't think it's a wild take. I, th- I think you're within your reason to do it because I think it kind of pulls you to this spot where you're thinking about these players and how we view them and why we view them the way we that we do. And with Twins, this can be tricky sometimes because... When you're growing up, you're playing together. They've insisted on playing together. They're even on the same OTE team, which I don't even know was totally necessary. I don't know what the – I haven't heard a quote from them on what, what the motivation was for there. They probably just like being around each other, which is fine. But I think w- what it has ended up doing is they, they have my permission. It's fine. They can be around each other. <laughs> I <It's> just it's <laughs> so funny that one. You want them um, to hate each
0: other. That's what you yeah. want, Kyle.
1: It's fine, guys. I pat them on the head. You have my permission as the, as the czar of all things that are okay. Uh, no, I mean like, but, but I think what it does is, um, it creates this perception that one player is one thing and one, it's the other, just because Amin had the ball in his hands the whole time. Um, you think to yourself, oh, he's the better passer. Oh, he's the playmaker. And I think that's a legitimate conversation to have. Like, what is going to make more sense? Amin is a ball-dominant guy who needs to develop as a shooter, or Asar is a little bit ahead of him him, and can sort of trade on being a scorer at his size with his athleticism. And then we think, like, maybe the gap in playmaking isn't that big, and Asar can kind of bridge the gap and become a better player down the road. Which one are you more willing to bet on? A lot of people I've talked to are more willing to bet on Asar doing that then like banking on I following suit and having the same shooting development for sure i mean I, I think you know it's even with Asar,
0: you're still betting on the jumper continuing to get better i mean just cuz he he had a you know a streak shooting 35% or better from 3 to end the season he did well in the ot playoffs you, you still look back at preseason when he's shooting like 12% from three. You still see a sub-70% free throw percentage for the regular season in the OT. So you're banking on Osar and our men, two kids that are hard workers. They're basketball junkies. You're betting on character as well. Um, but the rate of progress with Osar is at least encouraging there. And I asked you pretty recently, Kyle, you know, like with these two, what level do they need to reach as shooters for you to feel like, oh, these guys can be all-star caliber players? I, I, and I believe you said it doesn't have to be 40% or 37%. It's probably more like 32%. They're just going to be mild threats who occasionally get hot considering their level of athleticism their defensive impact, versatility, how they impact the game in so many different other ways as playmakers on ball, connective pieces who can make that, you know, pass off a cut. You know, they draw the defense and kick it out to a corner three-point shooter. The athletic, acrobatic finishing at the rim. They impact the game in so many different ways that if the jumper is at least below average, I mean, like, that, that's, that's a passable level for them you know, with where they are. But have you seen, like, mechanically? Have you noticed, you know, significant differences based off the footage we've seen with Asar?
1: Yeah, the footage thing is always funny to me every single year because you kind of have to do this dance of... um just you have to really think long and hard about what you want to believe because we've just I think you and I have some version of this conversation every year where I'm like yeah there were videos of like JaVale McGee and Willie Cauley Stein banging threes like you know in workouts (laughs) and it's like shooting in the NBA is just such a different thing and I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day about like the like there are guys who shoot at lower levels in college, even D2 and NAI guys who shoot the shit out of the ball and they get, you know, it's just a different thing to shoot in the speed of the, of the NBA game. So it can be something you have to really pay attention to. But on the other hand, there are times where I've been sort of skeptical about it, like Grant Williams. You remember, like, the workout videos of him coming into that that draft where they were like, Grant Williams is shooting threes now. I think it can come down to the person. I think Grant Williams really worked on his three ball. I think he's shooting, like, 50% from three in these playoffs. So you kind of have to, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose. But when you're watching them, and this has kind of been my thing about OTE, is that, like, while I've had questions about, like, the competition level, like I think the Thompson Twins have been pretty consistently the most competitive guys in the league in a league overall that can kind of get a little can get a little loose and chaotic at times when you're watching them like they'll just be in transition constantly. I do think that they've put good guys around them, like a nice pro staff to help them work. Like there's a lot of footage of like You know, uh, Kevin Ollie working with Amin Thompson on his point guard, you know, instincts and things like that. There's video of Mike Miller working with both of the twins on their shooting mechanics. And specifically, when you're talking about this, I sent you a screenshot from like a year ago, which the funny thing about when you're watching these two guys work out is that like it can be impossible to tell them apart. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. so whenever you, whenever you're trying whenever you're trying it gets especially perilous. Like whenever you're just like trying to draw a conclusion between photos from like a year and a half apart, I'm like, I think that's a sar. <laughs> you have to like really become like a forensic uh, investigator to to make sure you have it straight. But if you look at this footage that we saw, it is edited. I think it has to be clear. Um, Asar, the big thing that you notice is the lines in his, in his shot are, are cleaner. Like you look, the ball isn't like his shooting arm. Isn't sort of at a diagonal across his face. His elbow is straighter. And something that I noticed in some of their, their stuff from like a year ago or even back in the fall is that like every, your shooting is so important. Things that happen below your waist are so important because it all kind of stacks in a way that has to be even because if there's, I don't know, have you ever had to go to physical therapy, Kevin? Have you ever had to go? Nope. Good for you. I'm glad. <laughs> but, but one of the things that they always did with me when I would go to physical therapy is just to make sure that the inefficiencies in my lower body weren't weren't adding up to had bad habits. And the same thing is true about shooting. And I, I noticed in a clip that I sent you that I'm specifically, is kind of overcompensating because of his strength. I think that the stronger that these two guys get, when I watch their fingertips, and you can agree or disagree with this with me on this. I think when once they work on some of that stuff, like their inner, the cleanness of their strength into their energy load up, they do demonstrate enough touch that I don't think it's a hopeless cause, especially when you consider how I know I know that was a long soliloquy there, but I mean, like, um, I do trust them as workers to improve based on the things that I've seen. Well,
0: I mean, you, you when you comes to projecting improvement, I think you have to consider work ethic. You know, work ethic is a big one, obviously. That's probably the main one. Willingness to change and embrace feedback. And they clearly are willing to do that with how much they have evolved their shooting mechanics over the years. And then it's like you just said, the natural touch aspect, the what are your limits? What can you, what can you become? What, where does your hand eye coordination, how do you react when a defender's, you know, hand is is flying towards you and it's kind of, you know, in front of the rim and you're not able to focus as well. It's all of these things with your hands and your eyes and the touch and your fingers, And I think these kids, you know, these twins, Asar and Amen, they've shown crafty finishing ability. Like, they hit some amazing layups with English off the backboard. They at least show some ability to, you know, have uh, touch around the basket. It's just they have never done it from the free throw line. They've never done it as shooters. So, you know, it's a lot of projection. But if they do figure it out, That's why these guys are going to probably be top five picks. And if not top five, definitely top 10 because of their upside and how they have all these other qualities. And, you know, we have Jonathan Wasserman at Bleacher Report who reported Earlier in the week, he says, citing sources, the Rockets are content with their choices at number four, specifically Amen and Asar Thompson. And he also mentioned the, you know, the tape of Asar, his mechanics as a shooter. That's been impressive to scouts. But, you know, it's interesting something like that leaks out at this time of year. It's always hard to know. Is this a smokescreen? Is this real? That's what uh, I was going to ask you. Yeah. Do you, th- do you I think know. it's real? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean so it could be real that's not it's, it's not unreasonable you have the number 4 pick
1: no no i mean them being satisfied with their choices i th- i just think like linking the video part of it to it i'm always just like would a team publicly it just feels it it throws a flag for me where i'm like would a team admit that or was it just sort of included in in a quote and maybe they were loosely sure. sort of associated like i don't know well, we, we saw park, the twitter man. we saw it we're in you know i i don't know about that yeah I don't know. I mean,
0: I think with Houston, I've reported this throughout the entire season. Houston, if they don't land the number one pick, which they didn't, is a there's a major chance that they trade their pick. That's been reported by others since the, the lottery has happened in the, in the last week or so. Um, I still believe that to be true, that they are a major threat to trade their pick at number four. The question is, who would that be? Um, what would it be for we don't know at this stage. Uh, the one thing that's a very you know strong interest here is we have Rafael Barlow. He reported on on his blog at NBA Big Board on Substack how he's hearing Charlotte at number two is doing their due diligence and is rumored to be open to trading down a few spots. And he also said the Pacers at number seven, they have number seven, number 26, and number 29. They're looking to move up. And they're a team that could have interest in Brandon Miller out of Alabama. And Rafael put in his article, he said, but it is unknown at this point who they're willing to give up in addition to the number seven pick in a deal with Charlotte or Portland. I don't think Houston at four would be a team that would be trading down uh, because they already have a plethora of picks in this year's draft and in a bunch of future years. I I can't see that. Um, But I do think it's worth putting them in there. You know, Charlotte, Portland, Houston, they could be teams that could consider trading down or out for, in the case of Houston, but you know, th- this speaks to all this stuff. We're hearing Houston might trade out. They might go after hard and, you know, they might do this. They might do that. Now we have Barlow reporting this about Charlotte, all of this stuff. I mean, we got a month to go a little less than a month to go. This draft order is still incomplete. Kyle, I and mean, so much could still change.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're looking at the at the picks like Indiana is an interesting one about maybe moving up since they're at, you know, at 26, 29 and seven, you would think that that would be an attractive package, especially when we've talked about how it kind of flattens out, at least by our estimation that there's not, uh, you know, your, your consolation prizes that are big swings. I was thinking about 2018 today when I was driving and I was just like, that just doesn't happen. Like you, you just don't get the chance to take a Michael Porter Jr. at what was it, fourteen? Like that just doesn't happen very much. Um, but Houston, I, th- as, I think speaking to the the tweet thing, yeah, if they were gonna, you would think that that could be a piece of a leverage play if they were if they were saying, yeah, oh yeah, we like where we are. Yeah, that that does make sense. But um, yeah, anyway, the the Twins though, how that factors to the Twins, I, I feel like. Either one of those guys, I, I I think if you're like sort of measuring your your comfort level with them, I really do expect them to be competitive defensively. Like I, I think that they're going to take that really seriously. I think they're both going to evolve as ball handlers. The shooting thing is just it would unlock so much, even if either one of them could become sort of catch and shoot threats because off the dribble, they're very shaky. You know, Amin had 88 pick and roll possessions this year in, 80, in OTE. And he only attempted threes on that 10 times. And he hit he hits, you know, four out of the 10. Asar, even worse. Uh, he did, you know, seven of them and he only hit 14%. So them as movement shooters, it's going to take a major, major, major development for me to buy it. I, I think it, at the best, they're probably going to be kind of connectors like like Lonzo E types, but more athletic. And they they hit wide open shots and you hope eventually they can maybe become relocating shooters.
0: Well, and, and this is exactly why if Indiana trades up their it seems like, according to Barlow, they're trading up for Brandon Miller and not for uh, Amen or Asar Thompson. That, that That's their target because of the importance of that reliability with shooting. The interesting part, you know, to me with his report is that Charlotte is doing its due diligence and is rumored to be open to trading down a few spots. The Hornets at number two. Uh, you, me, you, and Tate Frazier on Thursday on Beyond the Arc, we have a segment on there talking about what the Hornets should do if they stay at number two. But now that we know that they could be potentially trading down from number two, it is worth thinking about. On like on from their side of things, if they view Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, they might have them ranked number two and three on their board. But they might say two, four, and five and six. The the difference is no. There's no difference. There's no difference. Like they might be equally happy getting Cam Whitmore at number seven or Osar Thompson at number seven or whoever the player is. If they could get multiple first round picks in a year where late first round this year, man, like I think the guys that I have ranked 15th, they might go 40. The guys you have ranked 35, they might go 17. It really does flatten out this year, in my opinion, from around the mid first until the early 40s. There's just a lot of players that you can point to and say, oh, yeah, Julian Strother from Gonzaga. He's going to end up a quality NBA, NBA player. Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine, yeah, he really struggled at the end of the year. His defense wasn't the sa- quite the same as it was as his freshman season. Oh, but he turns out into a really good 3-and-E player drafted with the 38th pick or the 21st pick. That's the way this year is going to be. Derek Whitehead, he was a top high school recruit. He might not go until the late first round unless there's a team at number 15 or 16 that decides, you know what, let's let's gamble on this kid. In his progress, it's that type of year. So for Charlotte, I could see the logic in them trading down from number two. You could get a haul if you decide to do that, just like you could if you're Portland at three.
1: Yeah, I mean, do you think, what's what's the possibility that, uh, let's say, you know, you've got an Orlando at 6-11, and 11. would that be a worthy, would that be mm-hmm. a move that they'd want to make? Maybe Orlando wants to sneak up and get a Scoot or a Brandon Miller. Um, either one of those guys I think could fit. I mean, I think the Scoot thing actually does kind of make sense, but you kind of start to wonder about the guard kind of stack up that they would have there. I don't know if that would be the right move. Uh, for them but yeah you're right about like the flattening of the draft it just seems like the the range of outcomes are just so wide it kind of it kind of makes me think about the way we thought about the 2020 draft where we, there was I think starting at like mm, starting at like seven all the way through 30 <laughs> we were like I don't know if you had the same read on this like seven through 30 we were just like eh, I don't know but then like a, a lot of good NBA players came out of that like um maybe maybe they didn't pop in the star sense but you know uh you have your just just going down through here guys that have ended up being decent players you know beef stew Josh Green played a little bit in the playoffs Precious Tyrese Maxey on and on and Jayden on Jaden
0: McDaniels
1: yeah it could swing positive i mean and there may be guys that maybe we're looking at them with the expectation of kind of similar to what you and i were talking about with Christian Brown where we were like well we're 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 holding him to this expectation Um, And maybe we're not getting what we set out to do, but there still is value there. They just, you know, from year to year, the guys that are available, um, the upside maybe just isn't quite as high, but it doesn't mean there aren't valuable players there. There was also another
0: report from Jonathan Wasserman. He said there's been some speculation that Wake Forest, Bobby Clintman could have a promise in the 20s, uh, given his decision to opt out of the combine after averaging just... 5.3 points (laughs) 5.3 points <laughs> as a freshman at Wake Forest. Um, I mean, Clintman didn't play a whole ton uh, for Wake Forest as a freshman. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he does here. I re- reported last week that he's not going to go back to college. Uh, it seems like he's either going to go to the NBA or pro somewhere else. He will not be returning to college. Six, you know, 6'10", 7-foot wingspan, 20 years old, 235 pounds, versatile, you know, projects as a versatile defender, can pass a little bit. He has some shot creation skills, not like a lead ball handler type, but someone who you can have go coast to coast, occasionally run a little, you know, DHO action for you. He can shoot it 37% on the year at Wake Forest. Teams are really projecting ahead. He's one of those type of guys, like a a Josh Primo type where you're like, oh yeah, draft him one year ahead uh, where you assume he could be a lottery pick in the 2024 draft. So, I mean, is there a team, you know, based off Jonathan's report there in the 20s that you look at and say, ah, ah, Clinton makes a lot of sense for this team pick 20 to 29?
1: Oh, you know, you're thinking of him as sort of a stretch for the pre-draft thing. I'm not so sure about just because he's 20. You know, usually the pre-draft guys, I'm like, they're very young and, you know, like we expect them kind of the kind of thing. Yeah. He's
0: raw. For 20, like, developments, you know, it's not linear it's by age. It's, he's so raw.
1: It's true. I, I, it is a case-by-case thing. I'm just, uh, I usually like the the youngsters when I think about that. And you think about a year from now, um, yeah, I, he did kind of come on later in the year. I mean, <laughs> but it, heavy quotes come on. I mean, yeah, he went from, you know, 5.4 to 8.5 in the last, like, 10 games. And he was shot 38.1% from three Uh, doesn't really get to the line. You know, that's kind of the thing you got to wonder about him. I assume he's just going to be a spacer and then give you some defensive versatility because he does, you know, he does block some shots here and there. Uh, you know, one and a half blocks those last 10 games as well. I mean, that's what he projects as to me. I don't know if there's, I don't think there's much upside. I'm not, I'm not incredibly confident about him, like, uh, his upside as, like, an on-ball person, you know? I kind of feel like he's probably... Would you consider him more of an oversized wing, or would you say he's more of, like, a true forward type that gives, like, you know, some extra weak side rim protection? Do you think he's, like, a Trey Murphy type, or is he more of a big forward? I think he's going to be somebody
0: that you could plug and play in different roles. I mean like you can like his Swedish team, you know, that's where you look at the film and you're like, "Oh yeah, the, the playmaking ability when he was empowered to bring the ball up the floor is there. You can see for Wake Forest sometimes like his ability to immediately rapidly target a shooter, you know, cutting into cutting into the basket or spotting him from behind the arc, he displays some good vision. And he's not like a lead ball handler type, he just doesn't have the quickness off the dribble. He has a bit of a slow first step. He doesn't have that second gear and drives to the rim. So he's not a lead guy, to your point. But I think he can be one of those connective glue pieces, you know, which is kind of a theme of what we talked about with different players and different positions in this year's class. I, I think he can just be one of those guys in a six foot ten frame. There's a lot you can do with somebody like that in a creative offense because of his shooting ability. Use him in dribble handoffs, because he can at least drive in a straight line, you know, off that if he's you he know has a shooter curling around him. I just think Clinton can be plugged and played into a lot of different roles on offense with his versatility. And then on defense, he projects as a versatile, switchable guy. Um, I like him a lot. I mean, I have him ranked 15 right now on my board. i will sure I'll move him around a little bit before the draft. But I wouldn't be surprised one bit if there's a team in the 20s that says, we want this guy one year ahead. The question is going to be, does he want to end up staying in the draft? Like Memphis at 25? Um, a team like that. Imagine him in the Kings offense, right? That's
1: like what I I literally what I was going to say to you. The Kings one is the one that sticks out to me. Or OKC, you know, get some more ball skills yeah. in their in their, in their big spots. But Sacramento does seem like a... Like How about Golden State at 19? Gives you spacing. I mean, you kind of you got to think about what they would be asking from him uh, in terms of their, like, stretch bigs. I mean, when's the last time they had, like, a real stretch big K- KD? I'm trying to think of, like a real 6'9", 16 guy that shoots threes. Otto Porter, you know, was uh, probably six eight six nine, right? I, I think mean, think kinda... the
0: Otto Porter role, that's interesting for Clintman. Like, just plug him into that role. I think he can do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and maybe he's not going to be a guy that gets all the way to the rim all the time, but if he can be like a one-dribble pull-up, catch-and-shoot type player, I could see him serving. Because that's kind of Porter. Porter kind of served that role when he was with Golden State. Granted, he was a whole lot o- older. I wonder if it's going to be a younger team. I don't know that he's going to help. Do you think he, what do you think the likelihood of him helping like a, a an established competent playoff team is right now? It seems like probably more of an up and coming team is more likely to add him in my opinion. Um
0: I mean I I say he's raw and I, when I say he's raw I mean that in the sense that he just didn't play a lot and like he like he does need to prove that he can handle playing 25 minutes per game, but I don't think he's ever I don't think that's his role. Early in a season, for like if Golden State drafts him, you want him to go full throttle and like fifteen, seventeen, twenty minutes at most off your bench, deep off your bench. Um, but I think that end of the season, the seventeen points against Syracuse, you know, granted he didn't do much against Miami in the ACC tournament following that. Uh, but the rebounding, I think he has that skill. The defensive ability, I would hope that continues to progress more than it already has for him. And the shooting is real. The people I talk to about Clintman, they they feel confident in his level as a shooter, uh, being a, a reliable, consistent knockdown guy like he was at six ten for Wake Forest this past season. So I think he can come in and and deserve an opportunity to prove that he that he should get consistent minutes. The Warriors, I don't know if that's a team for that, you know, like Steve Kerr with his history with young guys, but like if you're looking like in that range, Miami at eighteen it's interesting because they know how to work in young guys we mentioned the Sacramento Kings at 24 Brooklyn at 21 and 22 back to back picks that's an interesting spot for him but they have so many wings already I don't know how that's going to you know be shuffled there Portland who knows at 23 but I, I, I think there's a lot of good fits for him in that range um, and he's the one guy who didn't go to the NBA draft combine he dipped out Um, So that definitely does raise speculation about the promise uh, promise there. There are guys, a lot of guys, that went to the NBA Draft Combine. Um, Kyle, last week, you know, neither of us were in Chicago, but we were able to watch the scrimmages from home, talk to people that were there. Um, Anything, any standouts to you? Is there a riser who comes to mind first on your mind from the NBA Draft Combine in Chicago last week?
1: I think there was sort of a... um... This happens every year where we do, We look at older guys and we, we say, okay, this guy is a certain level of player. And then we sort of discount younger guys. I, they, this is the age thing that that I think about a lot. I mean, the, the guy that popped and looked the most competent, I think he was just clearly the most comfortable sort of competent player on the floor, I think was Amari Bailey from UCLA. Um, he just looked... Uh, unbothered out there. He, he looked really potent off the dribble. He looked like one of the quickest guys off the dribble there. You know, Terquavion had, Smith had some moments, I thought. But Bailey was dictating the pace of the game, getting to the rim. He looked really fluid and comfortable. His shot looked good. Um, I thought that he was probably, I mean, I thought he was kind of the clear guy there. But it, it opened up a question for me. Um, well, first of all, I mean, what what did you see from Bailey? Did you did you kind of feel the same way, or did you differ at all? What how did you feel?
0: For sure, I mean, he I think he looked like a guy who's re- reinventing himself. You know, coming out of high school, he's a five star recruit, and he's thought of as the score first guy who doesn't do a whole ton of passing. And at UCLA, he got better. You know, over the course of the season, as a shooter, looked more and more comfortable and. That was encouraging for, hey, if he comes back for a second year, maybe the second year is where he'll blossom, but he tests the waters in the NBA draft combine and goes to the scrimmages and he looks like a guy, if you had never watched any of Amari Bailey in high school clips or or UCLA, you'd be like, oh, this guy's a point. He's a point guard, yeah. right? Like, that, didn't that what a feeling, like, if this was your first time ever watching him, you'd think this guy's got. A high playmaking IQ. Oh my God, he's so creative. He's composed. You wouldn't think that this is something that was like, "Ooh, oh, surprise!" To scouts that were watching him, and instead, that's that's what he looked like. He was playing with such great pace in the pick and roll, and with command of the game. I was I was very impressed by him.
1: Yeah, yeah, he just he had such a like a level level headedness about him when he was out there, and you're you're absolutely right about the the Sierra Canyon thing. I mean, there's a like he leaves, and I, I do I know what you're saying here about like people people had questions about him as a player, his kind of value, like what was important to him, you know, and then he chooses he chooses UCLA and Mick Cronin, and he like goes, and that's a defensive minded coach. Uh, he It didn't seem like a sort of an intuitive, natural fit for me when I was reading that. I was like, this will be interesting. But then he goes through the year and really commits himself to working on that, which I think is a positive. I guess your worry is that he is sort of a slider frame. You wonder about how strong he could get uh, because his easiness. 6'3", yeah. 191
0: pounds. He is still light.
1: Yeah, the shoulders—you kind of wonder about that. You wonder if is he going to be like a D'Angelo Russell type guy who's like very easy with the ball, scores it, has a lot of the same traits, but then he's a total liability. I don't know that you know. I I don't know that D'Lo would have made that same choice and dedication in college, but he, you know, he was almost a forty percent shooter from three. Um, you you think about somebody like him, and you are just like, I know I can play, and you go into a like a, a scr- like a, a scrimmage like that, and you show out. And it opens up questions for me talking about the age thing. I think throughout this year we've just kind of settled on like, okay, these are the consensus names. We were just like, okay, Kobe Jones, Kobe Bufkin, Hood Shafino. Are we a hundred percent positive that Bailey is worse than those guys? Are we? Are we sure? Kobe Jones, who's two years older than him, are we sure about that? How high could Amari ba- Bailey? Climb, You know, I, th- I just think there was sort of a like sober up moment here with him where we were like, is this are we overlooking him? Is he going to fall for for reasons that maybe aren't justified? Well, that's the
0: interesting thing about the timing of entering the draft, right? He's only four months younger than Kobe Bufkin, but Bufkin had another year at Michigan. He he, If you looked at Bufkin after his freshman year, he'd be like, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe he pans out. He gets significantly better as a sophomore, and now he gets some late lottery buzz, it, but definitely some late first round, you know, possibilities with him. And whereas with Amari Bailey, after his freshman year is over, he has a negative assist to turno- turnover ratio, you know, questions about his frame as we're talking about, questions about his jumper, but then boom, NBA draft combine suddenly, yes, I think it is fair to ask those questions. Is he better than Colby Jones today? No. Kobe Jones is two years older, far more experienced, far more proven as a player, but will Amare Bailey someday be better than Kobe Jones? Maybe. That's possible. For sure. I mean, he's two years younger than him, you know, far less experienced. Uh, What will he be in two years or five years? Maybe he looks far more like the five-star high school recruit that he was projected as, and that's the tough thing about this, man. Like, (laughs) <laughs> it's really the tough thing about all of this with Dariq Whitehead out of Duke, um, somebody like him as well in an up and down freshman season, ends it well as a spot up shooter, but not as well doing the stuff that he did in high school. Some of these guys, they they slip. It's about priorities, you know. What do you, what what does what matters to you as a team? Do you want more certainty in the player that you're drafting? Does the is the upside worth the swing to you? that I mean every team is different and that's what makes this year's class so interesting. Cause yes, I think you can argue Bailey versus Colby Jones and, you know, Jalen Hood Shafino and some of these other guys in that range. Um but like that's true for the other way around too, with like Hame Haquez versus Jet Howard or Chris Murray versus, you know, the James Najee, if you're comparing different positions, right? Yeah. That's gonna be interesting. And then you get these new names that are starting to enter that conversation in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s like Omax oh, prosper like uh, he plays one game at the NBA draft combine uh, after after his year at Marquette you know he's a tenacious defender and the draft guide update coming out next week I had compare him to PJ Tucker um I think he's got the qualities of a Tucker on the defensive end of the floor and offensively he perhaps could as well as a solid spot-up shooter, attacking closeouts, um, cutting to the basket. He's a high-IQ guy off-ball. But he has one big game at the Combine in which he didn't even shoot the ball well. And then he sits out, and suddenly there's also speculation about him. Like, hey, does he have a promise? Does he? And he's somebody that could see going in the 20s, but definitely if not the 30s, right?
1: Yeah, they should have promised rings for these teams. Like we don't know who gave it to him, but the player gets the <laughs> ring and they wear it, and they're like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I just I just feel like that would add to some of the intrigue of the NBA draft. Um, no, he's a, he's a, he's an interesting player. I mean, forty, you know, four, He measured out pretty well, forty and a half inch vertical leap. You know, he's six six, so he's probably about six. He's got a good frame. You know, big bodies. Probably about six 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 eight in shoes with seven one wingspan, uh, ten inch wide hands. He's kind of physically it has some similarities to to Kaluma. He's a little taller, but the way he moves, he can be he he was a tough call for me because, you know, he's you know he's a Montreal native. He's one of the, you know, first sort of success stories out of the Latin American NBA Academy. He, he was really off ball a lot on this team this past year because Marquette had such a competent attack with Tyler Kolek and Cam Jones and then Issa Wigodaro kind of in that high post thing. So he's really primarily a catch and shoot player and he played sort of a modern style with, with Marquette. It was either catch and shoot threes or he kind of fumbled to the basket. Like his trips to the basket were always sort of chaotic because he's just, he's got these big kind of fumbly limbs. Um, I think defensively, I think you're right. Like, it's a little, if we, little too we,
0: much spinning from Prosper, like spinning and <laughs> dancing with the ball. It's like, dude, just attack on a straight line and be a bowling ball.
1: Yeah. I just hear, I, I would frequently hear the Hubie Round, whoa, 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 whoa voice in my head when I was watching <laughs> drive sometimes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Here's a guy from <laughs> Mont- Montreal. Uh, but, If you think about what's going to keep you on the floor, defensively is kind of the place where I tend to start. If we can get you on the floor defensively, can you stay on by not being a liability? Um, He's not like a knockdown shooter, but, you know, he also, his shot looks good. And I think you're right. Like his size and then, you know, it's obviously going to give you some switchability. I don't think he's like a super elite athlete, but I like him. I mean, I, I think he's definitely worth having on a roster for sure next year and taking a chance on him.
0: Ben Shepard uh, from Belmont. He had a big NBA draft combine, dropped 25 points in their last game there. Sharpshooter type of player. Um, you know, six foot five, 194 pounds, six eight wingspan. He'll be 22 years old as a rookie, catch and shoot guy. Uh, he definitely looked like the part of an NBA player at the combine. Like he didn't just shoot, um, you know, sh- showed some ability to handle at least a little bit. He was a point guard growing up, he had a late growth spurt. And so you can see some of that kind of like plays good to great with some of his reads on the floor. He makes some, he had a wraparound pass that was beautiful at the combine, some cross court plays as well. It was impressive. Uh, I was impressed from him and I thought he looked better on defense uh, at the combine than he did throughout the college season as well. Um, But, you know, comparing him to Jordan Hawkins, I'd still put Hawkins ahead of him. If you're talking about that kind of mold of a player, are you on the same page with me there?
1: Yeah, I mean I think if you the the bankable skill of Hawkins I think his arc spikes higher in terms of like his movement shooting I think he's going to be more useful in that way. I I always say this I love I just love movement shooters that you can sort of take the dial and crank the speed up and they don't they don't really change that much and Hawkins is one of those guys I don't think that Shepard can quite match him on the other end but uh, the the counterpoint if you were going to pit those two guys against each other is what we've talked about like Hawkins in the mid range has a very slight frame he gets he's a decent athlete but like when you see Hawkins get a straight line to the basket and he has runway to take off. You're like, whoa, I didn't know he had that. It's kind of like Cam Johnson. Like whenever Cam Johnson gets a head (laughs) head of steam on like a a straight line drive, he'll do something athletically where you're like, where the hell did that come from? But it's like (laughs) handle is the thing that leverages all those things. And if you wanted to compare those two guys, Shepard a little bit more point guard experience like you said. Um, I mean, he leans scoring really heavily in college. You know, he had almost had a 30% usage rate in college. Wasn't super about getting to the line, but he shoots the heck out of the ball over 40% from three in a variety of ways. Um, I don't know that it'll happen soon. It might be, it might take a little bit, you know. I don't, I don't know. Do you expect him to be on a roster like actually getting minutes next year? He seems to me like, a, like it might take a couple of years before he really gets a crack at it
0: yeah i think maybe you know it depends on the team like that's a hard question like it really does depend on the team and the situation i True. think he could play right away and get some opportunities if it's a a younger team um but defensively he's gonna need to prove that he can stick if it's a more veteran team um so that depends there anybody else that we haven't talked about from the draft combine kyle that comes to mind to you uh
1: the well i had one i had a thought this is um I'm kind of just trying to decide if I'm going crazy with this. So I was watching the draft combine, and as everybody knows, I watch a lot of Kentucky basketball. But uh, I had a moment talking about sobering up and and seeing things clearly, maybe you know, in, in a in a in a sort of neutral setting of a, of, a, of a scrimmage, um, not not where they were in college. I was watching Oscar Shebue, and I was just kind of struck once again by just how much his. Rebounding skill set just continues to translate seamlessly, and like at at, an, at a level that's extremely high. Uh, and I was just watching him, and I was having the thought process. You know, a lot of the frustration, and I think the critiques of him were sort of, um, driven by the way he was used in college. Like so many touches, so much, you know, expected to him, you know, dinging him as a decision maker, uh, because he's making decisions. It's like, you're, you're putting him in a position that is going to expose a lot of his warts. And I was just like, man, that rebounding skill set is such a pain. I was like, is there a team out there? I would assume it would be like a, like a, a, a rim protecting center that can also space. And as you and I have talked about, there aren't a ton of those out there. There's one going number one in the draft this year. Do you think the Spurs or a team like the like one of these teams that have <laughs> do you think that there's a chance that they might just take Oscar and put him in this very specific role? Because you have to protect him defensively. But I'm just imagining if you had an elite rim protector and then you had a guy who was like just adding possessions constantly for your team, I'm not saying you would start next to him But I'm just kind of like a little window has opened where I'm just like, that's a possibility (laughs) for him to be used. As much as he's driven me crazy, am I losing it, Kev? Do you think that that makes any sense? I don't think you are because I felt the same exact way. Oh, okay. Okay. The the
0: rebounding is so good, right? (laughs) Like it is so good. He had that block on defense and the offensive board put back Uh, and like he also I mean the the thing is like a Kentucky like you said he gets so many touches and it's frustrating at times but in the combine and at his pro day he's shooting threes Uh, he didn't make his threes uh, with the combine he you know he shot well at his pro day open gym who cares really but I'm talking like process wise He shot 70.5% in four years of college. It's not like he's a hackable guy. He's got solid touch from the free throw line. If he can at least become competent from behind the arc, a corner three-point shooter with his size to add that ingredient, it's just interesting on offense. Um, In addition to you want him near the basket, you want him crashing the boards. Well, you can crash the boards from the corner too that can make you even more difficult to stop uh, rather if you're spacing out from the perimeter so i'm just i'm intrigued because we know what he can do at a high level <laughs> with the rebounding we know that but then it's like these other little things where you talk about fit and situation next to or, next to or Victor Wembanyama or whoever it is but then also some of this stuff that he's clearly prioritizing in his development that could give him different flexibility within teams that he could be successful for. It's just I'm intrigued. I th- I think he's going to end up in my top 60. I would put it that way.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I specific well when I when I was thinking about the uh, well where would he work? And I got thinking about the Spurs and I was just like, man, that just feels like so a cool. Spursie and Zag. Like yeah. if he's on the Spurs next year, I just, I just I love putting these like positionally strong guys next to the long, lanky, disruptive players like that. Like I love the the Jalen Williams next to Chet idea, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. There's no denying his ability. He is just, you know, he is just like tractor beam hands, man. He he gets everything. I mean, if he gets <laughs> if he touches it, he gets it. And I'm I'm thinking, you know, if you put me in a job where I was like a financial manager and you watch the way I perform, you'd be like, Man, this guy's an idiot. He can't do anything right. But if you put me <laughs> put me in a job that where I'm, you know, doing something that's more my skill set and I'm protected, you might find more value in me. I'm just saying I'm I've been trying to think about the way he was used and trying to project it. And uh yeah, well I'm glad I'm not losing my mind. It's funny how far we've come from the beginning of the year. I mean, just being so tired of those mistakes and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it turns around for him.
0: I'm intrigued. I, I'm intrigued. High pick and roll offense with him as well. Like he's not posting, uh, finishing on like rolling towards the basket with his touch, I'd, I'd be very intrigued. Um, very intrigued. How about um, Brandon Podjimsky out of Santa Clara? Uh, has your opinion on him changed based off what we saw at the draft combine?
1: Um, no, not really. I mean, like a lot of the things I've I've watched. Did it confirm one,
0: things? Since you say no, I'm just did it confirm or. Kind of, you know, uh, solidify change, his status.
1: It didn't change anything for me. I mean, like, I, I, don't, I like, I feel the way I felt for a while. I mean, he's he's a guy I've probably seen him as much or more as any of these wing prospects. Like, I've seen him an inordinate amount um, just for this process. But he, because I, I think I was trying to confirm and sort of dif- dif- differentiate with him. He's so skilled. He's very easy off the ball. He can pass the ball. Like I've said, he's not ambidextrous with it, but he is a pretty confident lefty live dribble shooter. He can shoot it. It's funky middle game. But my thing is, you know, we we do get guys like that that come into the league on a yearly basis who can do a lot of these modern concepts. But defensively, man, I just, I don't, I just can't. I, I, I try to think about my teams for like the last part of the season. And I'm like, I just think teams would, relentlessly go at him defensively. Could he improve defensively? Maybe. I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: I mean, he's a great rebounder. He's tough. He boxes out. um, Like, he'll dive for loose balls. He's active off the ball. I mean, we just checked a lot of boxes on defense, but we didn't check on ball. And that's ultimately what he's going to have to prove. Can, Can he survive with teams targeting him, bringing him into ball screens, I mean, dude, in the Celtics Heat series, we even see Derek White getting targeted. Derek yeah. White is a really good defender, and, and he's been. getting targeted.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's and that's that's the threshold that we're talking about here. And uh, you yeah. know, if you want to if you want to think about in the short term, like drafting somebody that that that. Isn't going to be able to help you in that way. I guess that's fine. Maybe you'd have uh, other reasons for the short term to do that. But I, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. People, t- people are t- talking wild about him. How, how high have you heard about him going? I've heard like mid first round, and I'm, ca- I can't quite get there. As much as I respect I his offensive ability.
0: Yeah, I, I currently, you know, have him penciled in at thirty. That might change by the time we, we, uh, publish the the draft guide update late this week or early next week, but. I I have a hard time like moving him ahead of a bunch of guys in the in the twenties. Never mind the mid first round. Uh, I can't get there. I, I definitely can't get there. 30's even tough.
1: He seems like he's gonna like play well in summer league. He seems like that type oh, of guy. Yeah, he's gonna be a star
0: in the summer league. Pods. <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna p- put on a show, and he's got the nickname Pods. It's a cool yeah. name spells his first name wrong with an i instead of an o
1: (laughs) does he i don't know (laughs) who's to say
0: (laughs) yeah i mean brandon miller's got it right
1: (laughs) exactly with an o instead of an i i've never seen a brandon with an i have you I, is it Polish? What's the spelling? I don't, know. I don't, I don't what, what, what's the, is it, is Brandon no spelled the same way everywhere in the world? I saw <laughs> and wondered if it was a Polish name. I didn't know. I have no clue. I shouldn't even I, be speaking. I, I about that, am
0: but I 25% Polish.
1: Are you really? You know, okay. Yeah, I am.
0: I am 25% Polish. Yep. I'm a Jew. You know, I went to a, a Polish restaurant in Los Angeles with my mom about a month ago. Uh, it's called Solidarity. And it's like, it's got all this traditional Polish food. Everybody in there, when we went, everybody's Polish. And it was one of the better meals I've had since I moved to LA. It was
1: absolutely wow. delicious. Did you just visually ID them as Polish or did they sort of, how did? you know that? According to my that? mother,
0: who is <laughs> okay. half Polish, she she said every everybody in there <laughs> was Polish. I'm, okay. I'm not good at identifying like that. They just look white to me.
1: I, was saying, I don't think I could pick Polish people out by sight, but me, yeah, me, who knows? Me neither. <laughs> what a, what a great a conversation! People,
0: a lot of people, like you, could hear like voices. People definitely had like Polish accents.
1: gotcha uh, oh, you mean okay? Audibly, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, audibly, well, yes. That, okay, yeah. yeah. Incl-
0: including including our our server, our very nice waitress there. It was good though. It was very good. I, I look forward to going back to Solidarity. It was a great great meal. Um, Kyle. Uh, any restaurants you
1: want to talk about
0: before we get out of here?
1: I had some good <laughs> ones in LA. I always, whenever I'm traveling, there are a lot of late night by myself, earbuds in meals. So those are always fun. What did you have? Like, in what, my what, life. what did you do? besides
0: <laughs> When I wasn't around you, right? When we weren't driving around, you know, to and from the office, you know, when we weren't talking basketball at the office and everything else, what, what did you do? What, when what you weren't you do showing me that?
1: your zero to 60 in your, in your Tesla and whipping my head back <laughs> in the car.
0: Yeah, gave me the full Tesla pitch. Yeah, I drive safe. I drive safe, don't I?
1: You do. Was is that public? Do people know you drive a a, a Tesla? Sorry, did I out you there?
0: I I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Okay, I love my car very much.
1: It's a lot of fun. It's
0: a it's a safe car. It's um, it's great. It's a fantastic car. I love it very much. My Model Three.
1: It is a nice car. Uh, I had uh, Mercado was really good. I had some Mexican. Oh, you went there. I like, yeah. I like Mercado. Yeah, very good. I had uh, brunch at a place called the Henry. That was pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, it was overall had a good time. Um, Verve coffee was good. Uh, I don't know. There's not a, you know, there's a lot, a lot of work, and so it wasn't a lot of time to go uh, cruising around. Yes. But uh, Tyler bought me pizza one night at Pizzeria Matza. That was really good. Uh, so, yeah, L.A., man, just endless good food. It's like, when it's you're ridiculous. back,
0: I hope like we got to make sure you're back for the NBA draft itself on June 22nd. Um, and when you're back, I think we should do a big group dinner, including Jesse Lopez, our producer. Oh yeah. Major Domo near the office, right outside of downtown LA. Jesse and I had a big group dinner there a couple months ago. Um, that was delicious. Uh, that's Dave Chang's spot in LA. Yeah. It's one of my favorite places. Major Domo. We should go there. That maybe, maybe, the night of the NBA draft,
1: the draft after
0: after the first draft, well, I guess we get we
1: get busy work, but we'll have maybe worry.
0: before the draft, yeah. we'll figure it out. The day after the draft, we'll go to Major Dome.
1: Day after sounds good. Yep, that's I'll go. I love Tory it. dinner. <laughs> I've been to the one in Vegas. Sorry, I haven't been to I haven't been to the oh, one you in the L.A.
0: Momofuku. And, you went to Momofuku. Yeah, Fuku that's right. we had our big group dinner Vegas. last
1: year for summer league. Yeah, it was good. I, you have I, the pork shoulder
0: there. Did we order that?
1: Don't remember. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of lobster and shrimp, and uh, we ordered we ordered a, a, a lot of stuff, a big spread. But everything I had was fantastic. Love the place.
0: That was that was a that was a funny dinner because uh, I I had a pre-planned dinner with some other friends at <laughs> the Momofuku that I didn't organize, but I had a pre-planned dinner, and then it turned out ringer had a dinner like an hour and a half into our reservation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so I God. just changed tables. I just walked across the restaurant from our, our my original table to uh, the new table. They, they were texting me and making fun of me while we were sitting
1: there at Bobo Fuku in Vegas. You coming 4.8. to Summer
0: League this year, Kyle?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Hopefully. Yeah, Ideally. Love Summer League. That's my spot.
0: Anybody listening to this podcast, they probably already know. Or they've been. I'd be curious to hear from our listeners. Tweet at us. Have you been to Summer League? Are you gonna go to summer league? And if you don't currently have plans, I highly recommend it. Oh, summer yeah. league is such a good ass
1: time, Kyle, isn't it? It is. It's a. It, if you're a basketball fan, it's it's like a it's a, you're, it's a candy store. I mean mainly because you're just you're seeing players all over the place. You'll just see legends just kind of walking around, chilling. You'll see media people. I remember when I like was not covering the NBA, I'd be like, "Oh my god, there's Zach Lowe or, you know, there's Larry yeah. Johnson, there's Dikembe the Mutombo, you know, there's it's fun on that front, you know. I always, you know, leave people be. Uh like if you see Kevin O'Connor, I, I'd leave him be, you know. He's a sweat. No, you can say hello. Please uh, say hello. I
0: love <laughs> I love meeting people.
1: And if he you does, and I'm I, kidding.
0: I have I have never bet a dollar in Vegas. I've never bet a dollar except when one of my friends, my friend uh, from long time, since I've been 14, 15 years old, asked me to bet $69 on the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. I placed that bet on his behalf. I recommend if you're not a gambler, you're not a big partier or whatever, just do shows. Go to like a tent show like Absinthe or go to a big show like the Beatles love, right? Like do shows like Vegas. Vegas doesn't need to be about drinking and partying and gambling. Vegas is about so much more than that. So I, like that's that's how I like to structure my summer leagues now is with some activities like that around basketball. That's the it's
1: way it's the go. Ringer NBA Draft Show brought to you by Las Vegas Tourism. Kevin O'Connor just <laughs> gave you the uh the spiel there. No, I want to I I'm I'd like to see Garth Brooks. That's one thing I'd like to do. Oh,
0: Garth Brooks, he has a residency there.
1: Yeah, people tell me that's that's a a pipe dream. So if you work in Las Vegas and you can get me some Garth Brooks tickets, I'll take them. Yeah. I I've heard lady it's Lady Gaga still got her thing there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't uh, that's the only one I'm aware of. uh residencies. Hmm. Maroon 5. I just googled that.
0: Apparently Maroon 5 has one right now.
1: Oh, yeah, there we go.
0: Don't think I mean, I like Maroon 5, but uh the old Maroon 5,
1: the oh, the OG stuff, you hipster, you yeah, like the, the early yeah. stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, songs about Jane. Maybe go to that this summer. We'll see. Kyle, I think we're all done here. We'll be back next week on the Ringers NBA Draft Show. A lot more to talk about. Maybe some more rumors. It'll be June, I believe, right? Next Wednesday when our next show airs. It'll be June. No, it'll June. be May 31st. Yeah, May 31st. May 31st. One not quite June, but we'll be on June Eve <laughs> ready to go for the NBA Draft Combine. Uh, for, the NBA draft for the NBA Draft. For the NBA Drafts, Kyle? Have a good rest of your day, man. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. Hope you have a good rest of your day.